first reading is taken from Psalm 32 and can be found on uh, your church Bible, which is beside you on page 560 or on the screens in front of you. Starting at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing and all who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading <coughs> is taken from Luke 18, verses 9 to 14, and can be found on page 1052. The parable of the Pharisee and the ten tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever had a moment when something has happened which you wish that you could recall. A slip of the hand and 
somebody's precious ornament breaks. A slip of the foot on the pedal and there's a dint in somebody's bumper. And if you were alone at the time, almost immediately, the thought has come to you, move on, drive away, nobody will notice. At least they won't know it was me. I'll tell you a little secret. When I was young, perhaps about eight, I um, picked up a, a little pottery rose on a silver stem from uh, my parents' drinks cabinet. And somehow broke the head of the rose off the stem. Okay, I did pick it up quite hard. But I put it down very gently and managed to balance the head of the rose back on the silver stem and shut the door. Do you think they noticed? You won't tell them, will you? Good. My secret's still safe with you. Dirty little secrets, little mistakes or mishaps, broken promises, flaws, faults and failures, hidden treacheries, ethical compromises, major crimes, appalling sins. We are prone to them all. And if no one saw, we are tempted to keep it that way. That's not a surprise, is it? Adam did that. No, not our new curate. I mean, our forefather, our first ancestor. He got something wrong. He thought no one would notice if he just hid in the bushes. But we are not built for secrets. We're built for open fellowship and intimate friendship, as Adam discovered. So when we hide skeletons in our closets, we're setting ourselves up for a very bad time indeed. Of course, the major problem with skeletons is that they always get found. Always. If not now, then later. If not later, then before the judgment throne. Hiding things is never forever. And when they come out, clearly there's going to be a stink. And knowing that, we tend to run. I guess you know the story of Arthur Conan Doyle, who, for a joke, sent an anonymous note to five of his friends saying, fly, all is discovered. And blow me down, all five did. They left the country. The other problem with skeletons is that we know that they're there. Whether as an individual, a family, an organization, or a community, our hidden secret, our cover-up, becomes part of our identity. I may slip into it because now isn't a great time for the whole world to know, either for myself or for someone I'm trying to protect. But of course, the thing is, there will never be a good time for the world to find out. So I build my life around this hidden knowledge. Rachel and I are currently just started watching Suits, 
the American legal drama. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It won't really be a plot spoiler to tell you that in the very first episode, right at the beginning, uh, one of the people who becomes the hero through the, the whole series of series um, pretends that he's been to Harvard Law School. And then the rest of the series so far has been about how he can avoid that secret coming out. It's getting more and more painful as it goes on. We know somebody is going to find out before the end. And if someone else find, does find out but does nothing about it, either because they care for us or because they too are afraid, or in the case of uh, Harvey, because there's something in it for them, then they too become complicit. It becomes a part of their identity too. And all of us, we all know that the longer we leave it, the worse it will get. So it preys on our mind, distorting our perspectives, distracting our attention, sapping our energy, changing our relationships. We become tense and anxious. We get sucked into evasions, into fixations and paranoia. We spiral into aggression or depression. David described it well 3,000 years ago. When I wouldn't own up to what I'd done, my strength was sapped. I was groaning all day long. There was a heavy hand on me. And then comes the episode in which the crisis comes. The skeleton is found. It's out of the closet. All that we feared happens. And yet, there is also a curious release. There is at last the chance to deal with it. There's a tragic story in my family history. My grandmother's stepfather was a property developer. He built, I think, most of Clapham. But unfortunately, at some point in his career, there was a property slump, and he went bankrupt. And he was unable to tell his wife of his failure. And rather than share the failure of his life with his wife, he committed suicide. Because he couldn't reveal what he had done wrong or what he'd failed to achieve, he missed out on the love and the care and the support and the solidarity of his wife and children. And he died alone. How much better if he could have faced up to that crisis and shared the situation that he was in with those who loved him. How much better if we can face up to our crises, passing through the storm and into the sun beyond. Because both David and Jesus in our passages this morning are convinced that the crisis can be dealt with. And that when it is, good things will begin to happen again that otherwise we would miss out on. Honesty, says David in the psalm, teaching us of prayer, reveals, sorry, release, 
Honesty releases you from fear, from self-pity, from isolation and despair. And it leads you, verse 5, into forgiveness, verses 6 to 7 into deliverance, verse 8, the chance to pass on what you've learned to others, and above all, verse 11, joy, upheld by God's unfailing love. Of course, that can only happen because of God, because Jesus has picked up the tab for us and has released us from guilt, because our Father loves us and will forgive us for Jesus' sake. So what makes the difference? How do we break through the crisis that faces us? Both David and Jesus are clear. Confession, it's the only way. We have to acknowledge our guilt and ask for forgiveness. Feeling guilty or sad or depressed isn't enough. We actually have to speak out the words. We have to speak them out to God and to the person that we've offended. Once we've done that, then we're no longer hiding. We're no longer pretending. We're no longer evading the guilt or passing on the blame to others. We have to say it out loud. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, says David, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And as you know, David had some big transgressions that he needed to confess. And what happened next? Then you forgave my sins. You've got a choice, says David. Deceit or honesty, which will it be? You've got a choice, says the Lord Jesus. Arrogant self-deception or humble self-recognition, which will it be? One locks you in, the other sets you free. The choice is yours. Let me finish with a story I love. You've probably heard me tell it before, and uh, it's already reduced me to tears once this morning already. It may do so again. Here it is. The author, Philip Yancey, tells a story of a young girl growing up on a cherry orchard just above Traverse City in northern states. It's just, uh, just between Lake Michigan and Lake Huron. And I gather it really is the cherry capital of the world. Her parents, though, were a bit old-fashioned, tended to overreact towards her nose ring, the color of her hair, her taste in music and clothes. And one day she's just had enough. She stamps out of the house shouting, I hate you! And she jumps on a bus to Detroit, a place of gangs and drugs and violence the last place her parents would think of looking for her. It all goes splendidly for a year or two. Her parents were obviously keeping her from all the fun. But then it starts to go wrong. She gets in with some very bad people. Things go from bad to worse. She gets very sick. Her friends all drop her. 
She's shivering and hungry and Christmas looks very bleak. One night it all looks so different. She no longer feels mature and sophisticated. She thinks for the first time of her parents. She feels lost and frightened like a little girl. A tear trickles down her, her cheek. She tries to phone home, but only gets a message on the answer phone. Finally, she leaves a message. Dad, Mum, it's me. I was wondering, maybe, about coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours, apparently, to travel from Detroit to Traverse City by bus. Plenty of time for her to realize the flaws in her plan. What if her parents were away? Perhaps she should have given them longer to get over the, their shock. And what if they aren't there? What on earth is she going to say? She rehearses her speech over and over again. Dad, I am so sorry. You were absolutely right. I was so stupid. Can you forgive me? The words are difficult. She hasn't apologized to anyone for a very long time. Well, the bus finally rolls into the station, air brakes hissing, a crackly voice announcing Traverse City. She checks her face in the mirror, brushes her hair. What a mess. Will they be here? How will they react? She walks through the snow into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. But not one of the thousand scenes that she has replayed through her mind prepares her for what she sees. There amidst the concrete and the plastic, a huge group of brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts, grandparents, great aunts, wearing party hats and blowing party whistles. And there, taped across the entire wall of the terminal, a huge homemade banner saying, Happy Christmas. Welcome home. Out of the crowd steps her dad. Dad, I'm so sorry. I've obviously... He interrupts her. Hush. I know. But there's no time for that now. We're going to be late for the party. Mum will be just getting the turkey out of the oven now. Many people completely misunderstand confession. They think it's this dreadful Christian invention to make you feel worse than you already do. It's not. Confession is the mercy and the blessing of our Heavenly Father. It gives us a doorway to step out of the misery into which we're locked and through into the sunshine of his blessing, his joy, his fellowship. 
we've been following a summer series, summer school on prayer on the different lessons that the Psalms teach us in our praying. And this is one of them. That we need to take courage and confess to our Heavenly Father. And then the lesson we learned last week, thanksgiving, really begins to make sense. Like David, we will understand how much the Father has done for us, how much he is doing for us, moment by moment. For the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. In a moment, um, our band are going to come up and lead us in a song of thanksgiving and worship. But before we do, I'm going to read out a, um, a long, um, a, a, um, a prayer, a traditional prayer of our church, of the Anglican Church, in which we share with God what is on our hearts and what keeps us from Him. I'm going to read the prayer first, slowly and quietly as you sit, and then the words will come up behind me, and I'll invite you to say it with me. And then I will speak the words of forgiveness, which the Lord Jesus has commissioned me as a leader in this church to say to you. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbors in the things we've thought, in the things that we've said, in the things that we've done. <coughs> through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. Heavenly Father, we are truly sorry. We repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, please forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. The words are on the screen behind me now. I invite you to say them with me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you in our neighbor, in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ,
who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon you. Pardon and deliver you from all your sins. Confirm and strengthen you in all goodness and keep you in life eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.